All right, we got uh, quite a few connection and growth opportunities uh, coming up. So let's start five weeks out and work our way back. So about five weeks from now, we've got our annual men's retreat, and we are back at Ponca this year. If you are not from around here or you have never been out to the Buffalo River, it is absolutely gorgeous. There's very little cell service. It's a great chance to actually get away and disconnect. We are doing it a Thursday evening through a Saturday morning this year. Uh, We wanted to take less time away from family, um, but that does mean that we're asking you to take a day off of work, men, uh, on that Friday. It is well worth that PTO day, well worth that investment. And so we've got about 50 spots left. We're a little over halfway uh, full. You can find this and everything else that I talk about on our news page. It'll be the same QR code as we go through, but I want to encourage you to join our staff, our leaders, and come out to meet uh, other new people as well. It's a multi-generational weekend, so we'll have men ages 16 and up out there with us, so we'd love for you to sign up for that. A week before that, so about four weeks out, we've got our second big courtyard nights for 20s and 30-year-olds, and so this will be an evening uh, to connect with other people in that age range, and so if you're in your early 40s, got some young kids, want to come, who are not carding at the door, you can come. Uh, It'll be outside uh, on the courtyard area, and we had over 300 people show up for the one that we did in October. And it's just an easy way to, to meet new people, to enjoy some good music. Uh, our very own uh, Brooke and Ryan Chola with their band Church Street will be there. We'll have a couple food trucks that you can buy dinner or dessert from. So uh, mark your calendars, April 21st. That's a Friday night. It's going to be beautiful. No rain uh, for sure, hopefully. Uh, a week before that, so three weeks out, uh, we have uh, Mark Yarbrough from Dallas Theological Seminary, or DTS, coming to our Rogers campus to do a two-day conference on the story of Scripture. So basically, a full two days of looking at the entirety of the Scripture and how it fits together. So kind of like what we do here with Panorama, but a a condensed version in two days. And I got to sit under Dr. Yarbrough when I was at DTS, and he is a phenomenal man of God, very, very knowledgeable. So it's fun to see him now as president and being able to come and partner with us. So it'll be on our Rogers campus, there is a registration fee, I think of $79, which will cover materials and your lunch for the two days, but you can find that on our news page as well. Week before that, so now we're two weeks out, Easter and Good Friday is coming up, so just two weeks from today is Easter, but the Friday before, we'll have a time for you to come and uh, spend some time in personal reflection and worship. You can come alone, you can come with a roommate, with your family, with your community group, But we'll have the student center, uh, which is the front building over here, open from 3 to 7 p.m. And it's just come uh, and go as you you can. Uh, It's a time for you to reflect. Uh, I believe there will be communion available there too. And so if you want to have that on Good Friday, you can. And then two days later, we will actually celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together on Easter. Uh, Our normal service times will be here, 8.45 and 10.30, and then about half of our staff will be out at Orchards Park. Again, it's going to be sunny and clear. I can feel it. And uh, we want to invite you to that service as well at 10.30. So you'll just pick one of those uh, three services, 8.45 and 10.30 here or 10.30 out at the park. Zero weeks out, this morning, we get to rest. I know that was a lot, but will y'all stand as I pray, um, as we enter a time of worship, gathering together. Lord Jesus, we love you and are so grateful for you and the peace that you bring and the hope that you bring and the life that you bring, the things that you teach us on a daily basis. And I know we're moving into a couple of weeks 
where we get to celebrate just the, the culmination of, of the grace that you give us, the gift that you give us. But I don't want to move past even just this morning the gift of your presence and the presence of your spirit within us. And uh, just pray, God, that you would answer the prayer that you've said you'll answer, that when we gather, you will be here and that you would be with us this morning. That as we bring our fears, our pains, our struggles, our hopes, our joys, our sorrows um, into this room, God, that you would meet us in this place. Bring us comfort and hope as we worship you and as we learn more about your plans for us as your people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My name is Pat Anderson, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Would you read this scripture from Psalm 16 with us as we begin our time of worship? I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This morning as we worship the Lord, we turn our focus and our eyes to him. So you join with Evan this morning as she leads us in this prayer. Psalm 16. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. I have no good beside you.
Psalm 27 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple. There's a lot of things that the Lord is teaching me through this passage, but we only have time for for one thing this morning, and it's this. I don't want us to miss the opportunity before us today special opportunity to gather as the body of Christ and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord together. So take a moment between you and the Lord, set the eyes of your heart on him, meditate on his word and ask him to meet you in this place today. As we experience the empowering presence of Christ together, praise his name. Let's behold him. Thank you. 
up our praise to him. We sing all in
stay standing for the reading of God's word. Daniel 9, 20 to 27. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm his covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Doug. And I have the privilege of wrapping up our study in Daniel today. Uh, I hope it has been a, uh, an enjoyable and a fruitful study for you. hope you've enjoyed uh, learning more about Daniel and uh, hope it has been able to speak to you in, in ways that it has encouraged you in your faith and drawn you closer to the Lord. Hey, before we jump into our study this morning, I want to uh, just give a shameless plug for a class that I'm teaching. Um, Beginning the Sunday after Easter, I will be teaching a class called Our Faith. And in this class, what we do, we basically explore what Christians believe by asking a series of questions. So here are some of the questions we'll ask and answer. Who is God and what is he like? What's wrong with the world and what is God doing about it? And how will it all end? Which kind of relates to what we're going to be talking about today. So the class is eight weeks long. We'll be meeting following the uh, second service each week. And, uh, and, and I know it's kind of been convenient, so we'll actually even provide a light lunch for a donation. Um, look at it this way. We're going to start about noon, be done about one. You're not getting off the parking lot till 1230. Might as well be in class. Come join me. It'll be about, we have a space for about 35. If you want to sign up, go ahead and sign up. That should be open. Uh, but you come join me, and I think you will enjoy that study. Hey, we're closing our study of Daniel in chapter 9. 
and with what might be the last written record that we have of Daniel's life. Uh, the chronology of Daniel can be a little bit difficult uh, to, to fully determine uh, when everything was written, uh, but we think this might be the last written record of Daniel's life. So last week, we studied the prayer of Daniel. In the beginning of chapter 9, Daniel begins to pray, and, and as Mickey taught us uh, last week, that this was a regular prayer of Daniel, and he begins to pour out his heart to the Lord about, uh, about Israel, about Jerusalem, uh, about the temple and all the things that are going on. And so last week we studied the prayer of Daniel. To this week, the rest of the chapter is essentially God's answer to that prayer. So beginning in verse 20, well, we begin to, to see God sending an answer to that prayer. And in the first four verses, we read that while Daniel was continuing in prayer, the angel Gabriel was dispatched to give an answer. Now, I want you to take note uh, of what is both implied and specifically stated there. First of all, what's implied? In order for Gabriel to be sent while Daniel was praying, God had to be listening. And you go, well, of course. Well, let me ask you, have you ever felt like your prayers got stuck in a voicemail queue and that God got around to it whenever he had time? I felt that way sometimes, that I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it didn't seem like God was ever getting around to answering, and I began to wonder, is he even listening? But what we learned from this, uh, from Daniel's experience, and from, from what uh, God's answer to Daniel, is that that's not the picture that we get. We see a picture of, of Daniel on his knees, pouring his heart out to God, and we see a picture of God leaning forward and listening to the prayers of his child. So when you are tempted to believe that God's not listening when you pray, I want you to come back and realize God listens. He sent the answer while Daniel was still praying. He said, Gabriel, get down there. Tell him, give him the answer to his prayers. Tell him I'm listening. Tell him I'm paying attention. God is listening to our prayers. Secondly, when Gabriel begins to tell Daniel uh, that his prayer is being answered, he says, it is because you are highly esteemed. And I actually prefer the, uh, some other translations that say, because you are greatly loved. Now, again, it's really easy for me to read this and go, well, of course he's listening to Daniel's prayers. Daniel was a super saint. He didn't do anything wrong. In the entire book, we don't have anything that Daniel did wrong told in, the, in this whole book. He, he, had, he had great faith. He had great conviction. He was a man of great integrity. Of course, God's going to listen to his prayers. But is he going to listen to the prayers from a guy like me? I wouldn't even begin to compare myself to Daniel. I wouldn't think of saying, well, I'm kind of like Daniel. Would he listen to my prayers? So let's go back and listen. What did he say? I'm sent, I've been sent with the answer because you are greatly loved. Not because you are a great saint. Not because you are greatly faithful. Not because you are, uh, have done great things or, or that, that you have great gifts. Simply because Daniel was loved, God answered his prayers. What does that mean for you and me? 
Well, the gracious love that God showed Daniel is the same gracious love that you and I have. God doesn't love Daniel any differently than he loves us. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He doesn't love us because we're lovely. He doesn't love us because we somehow deserved it or earned it. He loves us because he's God and he wants to. And that's it. And if he loves us graciously, then he will listen and answer our prayers. So he tells Daniel, you are greatly loved, and God has sent me with an answer to your prayers. And now we come to the answer that Gabriel was sent to give. And as we walk through it, we're going to see that God's answer to Daniel's prayer was a revelation to Daniel of his plan for Israel's future. So God answers Daniel's prayer by giving him a revelation of Israel's future. So he says in verse 24, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This plan, he tells us, first of all, is it unfolds over the course of 77s. Um, in, in the passage I read, it says 70 weeks. Um, in most translations now, it calls it 77. So let me really quickly say, you'll hear me say sevens and weeks. When you hear me say weeks, do not think seven days. Okay? I'll explain that a little more in a minute, but I'm not talking about seven days. So if I mess up and say weeks, just think of 77s. Okay? So it'll take course over 77s. The word is heptads, which means a group of seven somethings. And in this particular passage, it's this group of seven periods of time. For the sake of time, I'll just go ahead and tell you that each seven is a period of seven years. So if you want to think about a week of years instead of a week of days, instead of seven days, we're talking about seven years. So a period of seven years. And so the whole time frame is 70 times seven or 490 years that this history or this future of Israel is going to unfold. Now, we've already read in the book of Daniel about some visions of the future that were recorded. And we'll review a couple of those in a moment. But those visions focus primarily on the rise of the Gentile empires that are going to be ruling over Israel in the future. And so the focus of those visions was basically those Gentile empires. This, this revelation that, that God gives to Daniel, we're told, focuses specifically on Daniel's people and Daniel's holy city or Israel and Jerusalem. So while those visions had to do with the Gentile nations, this revelation is specifically for Israel and about Israel and about Jerusalem. And it's going to be important for us to keep that into context. Because he's wanting to tell Daniel, Daniel's praying about, here's the condition and the situation of my people. And God's answer is, and here's what's going to happen in the future for your people. So then he gives us, and I really appreciate this, he gives us a summary in the end of verse 24, a summary of what the, the, this vision is, or this revelation is going to accomplish. What is God's plan and purpose going to accomplish? And he lists six things that, that his plan and purpose accomplishes. If you can see, as I've studied, I've, I realize there are actually two sets of three that work together in pairs. Let me walk you through those. 
the first pair, it says that as a result of God's completion of his plan for Israel, transgression will finish or be done away with and everlasting righteousness will be ushered in. So as a result of this plan, sin is going to be done. It's going to be cut off. It's going to be finished. All of those pictures are wrapped up in that word. That is, in my mind, as I was reading it and kind of understanding, you just put it in a box and tie it up. It's over. And in its place, eternal righteousness is going to be ushered in. So God's completed plan will take care of sin and bring in eternal righteousness. The second pair, it says that he will put an end to sin and vision and prophecy will be sealed up. In the original language, the phrase put an end to and, and the word sealed up or the phrase sealed up is the exact same word. And so what he's saying is sin's done and prophecy and vision are done. So what is he saying to us? Because sin is done, we don't need prophecy and vision anymore. Because we're going to be in that perfect eternal state where Paul describes it as we will know as we have or we are known or we'll no longer see through a glass darkly. We will see clearly and we will understand clearly and perfectly. And so the end result of God's plan is that sin will be done Prophecy and vision will be completely fulfilled and finished. And then the third pair that he talks about is he said that there will, there will be um, atonement for sin or wickedness and a holy place will be anointed. And both of those words, atonement and anointing, Daniel would have recognized and every Jew would have recognized they come out of the ceremonial uh, rituals of worship that were done primarily in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. So once a year, the high priest would go into this holiest place. And on this day, they called it the Day of Atonement, because on this day, he would go into that holiest of places. And there on the mercy seat, he would sprinkle blood. It would cover the mercy seat. And God would say, because the blood covers the mercy seat, then your sins are covered. They are forgiven. And as a result, he says, of my plan coming to fruition, all of sin will be completely covered and forgiven. And then he says, and there will be a holy place anointed. And the anointing is when you take holy oil and you pour it over a person or a place. And it signifies, uh, it actually literally pictures the Holy Spirit coming down and over that person or that place. But it signifies this person or this place is set apart and belongs to God and belongs to the eternal presence of God. So that's what he says when he gives a summary of what's going to happen to the plan. So let me sum it up. God's future plan for Israel and Jerusalem is going to unfold over 70 groups of 70 years each. When this plan is finished, sin will be finished, it'll be ended, it'll be forgiven. Eternal righteousness will be brought in, all vision and prophecy will be complete, and there will be a place of God's eternal presence on earth. He says, Daniel, this is what my plan and my purpose for Israel is. And now we're getting ready to get into the details of that plan that were unfolded to Daniel as God reveals his plan. As we, 
As we start this, I'm reminded of a story of Albert Einstein. I don't know if this was true or not, but supposedly when he did his first lecture in America on his theory of relativity, he walks out onto a stage like this, and the first thing he says is, it's really quite simple. Now, I consider myself to be a reasonably intelligent man. I tried to read Einstein's theory of relativity, and I never felt dumber in my life. He couldn't have been farther from the truth. It is not quite simple. So as I began to read uh, a lot of the authors on this passage, the one thing I concluded is this is not quite simple either. So by way of disclosure, I am 99% sure that I only understand about 80% of what I've read. I'm probably only 60% right on what I've concluded. But that said, I hope there's a lot of grace as we go through here. In understanding the full picture, <clears throat> it's helpful if we take this passage and we lay it beside the visions that we have recorded in Daniel's two, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. In those visions, uh, in Daniel 2, we had the vision of a statue that was made of the different metals, and each metal represented a different empire that would come up. In Daniel 7, we have the, the vision of the different beasts, and each beast represented each one of those empires that would come up. And so when we lay this one alongside there, it helps us to kind of see where does this unfolding of God's plan relate to the other visions that he, that he gave. The first empire mentioned in, the, in the both visions was the, the empire of Babylon. They were the ones that conquered Israel and took them into captivity in the first place. They were the ones that brought Daniel to where he was when he had this vision. By the time we get to chapter 9 of Daniel, the Medo-Persian Empire has conquered the Babylonian Empire. So the Babylonian Empire doesn't have anything to do with what the unfolding of God's plan in chapter 9. So then we move to the second empire. The second empire was the Medo-Persian Empire, and they were the ones ruling when, da when Daniel received this revelation. And we're told that this 70-week plan of God, the 77s, 70 weeks of years, um, begins with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. We know, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the exact date, but we know this decree was given during the reign of this empire. So this 77s begins, it begins to unfold during the second empire, the, the Medo-Persian empire. The third empire is Greece, which began when Alexander conquered the Persians. Verse 25 tells us that Jerusalem will be rebuilt and it will be rebuilt, and it will have a time of trouble. A couple of weeks ago, Mark was teaching, and, and he thought, walked us through the last several chapters, chapter 8 and then the end of the uh, book of Daniel. And what he pointed out is, and in particularly in chapters 8 and 11, it's the story of Israel being caught in the crossfire, literally, between two nations that kept fighting, and they kept meeting in the land of Israel. And so they were in times of trouble that were really not anything of their own doing. The king of the north, the king of the south would fight each other, and they would fight each other in Israel. And so Jerusalem was built, but it experienced this ongoing period, these times of trouble. And then we come to the fourth empire, which is Rome. During the rule of Rome, we're told, the 69th week comes to an end. And the event that marked the end of the 69th week would be the coming of the Messiah King, who is Jesus, 
who would then be cut off or killed, and then after this, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. So we see these unfolding under these empires. The, the, the 77s begin with a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem gets rebuilt, but there's this time of trouble, and, and we have the Grecian Empire and then the Roman Empire, and there's still time of trouble. And then during the Roman Empire, we come to the end of the 69th seven, and it is marked by the declaration of the Messiah King and the execution of the Messiah King, and it is followed by the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Now, with that context established, where both visions end with a view of eternity, where then we come with the kingdom of Messiah and his saints is set up forever. So when you lay the revelation of God's plan in chapter 9 beside these visions, you see that the end of God's plan, this 70th seven, corresponds to the time of the final kingdom because the 70th week ends, remember, with the removal of sin and the establishment of eternal righteousness. So God's plan of these 77s take us all the way to eternity. With that in context, let's look at some of the specifics. In verse 25, he tells Daniel, Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, 69 altogether, 69 sevens, or six uh, weeks of years. According to Nehemiah chapter 2, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued by Artaxerxes. And because Nehemiah was really um, helpful in this, he gave us the exact date that this decree was issued. And it is March the 5th, 444 B.C. Now in the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, we, we look for a time, when was Jesus ever publicly declared to be the Messiah in Jerusalem? Remember, this is about not only Israel, but about the holy city. So in Jerusalem, when was Jesus ever publicly declared to be Messiah? The only time you find that happening is on the day that we often refer to as Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. When the people in Jerusalem declared, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which was a declaration that he was the Messiah. If we use Luke's dating, what we'll find is that that Palm Sunday was March 30th, 33 AD. So we have the bookends of the first 69 sevens. It begins with the declaration to rebuild Jerusalem. It ends with the declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. It begins in 444 BC. It ends in 33 AD. Now, if you take 69 times seven, you get 483 years. So let's take a math break. In the first hour, I don't think Hunter's in here. In the first hour, I said the reason we do this is because Hunter House would be very, very happy. But also because I think you're going to find this pretty interesting. We need to get to 483 years, but we can immediately see, if you do math, from 444 B.C. Uh, to 33 A.D. is actually 476 years. I don't care what kind of math you study, 483 does not equal 476. So now we have a problem. What do we do with that? Did Daniel get it wrong, or was Gabriel just bad at math? 
Or is there a third option? And hopefully we're going to find that third option. Now, a principle to remember is there is no passage of Scripture, of prophecy, that tells you everything you need to know in that one passage. We have to bring all the passages together to get all the details to tell us what we need to know. So in the book of Revelation, in chapters 11, 12, and 13, he uses a phrase frequently that it actually gets out of the book of Daniel. And that phrase is, to describe this time period, that phrase is time, times, and half a time, or three and a half years. And he uses that phrase, taking it out of the book of Daniel. And in that same time frame in the, in, the, in the book of Revelation, we're told that that three and a half years is actually 1,260 days. So if we do some quick math, divide 1,260 days by three and a half years, what you end up with is a 360-day year. So now we have a question. Is that a thing? Does a 360-day year actually exist? Or did somebody just make that up? Well, if you study uh, Jewish culture and history, what you'll find is, over time, they actually had about three different ways of marking time. One of the ways was based on the lunar calendar, one was based on the solar calendar, and the third way was based primarily on their religious calendar. And their religious calendar, where they marked their feasts and their festivals and and their holy days and their fasts, consisted of 360 days. So it was a thing. And Daniel would have been aware of that. It wasn't uncommon. So, when we take that 476 years that we calculated, we also know that that was 173,859 days. If you divide that by by 360 days in a year, you get... Four hundred and eighty-two point nine four years, which is really, really close to four hundred eighty-three, right? But not close enough. So, if you count the days from March fifth to March thirtieth, from the issue of the decree March fifth to the declaration of the Messiah March thirtieth, you get twenty-five days, which is point zero six years. Which, when you add that to the other years, what you get is exactly four hundred. In 83 years. God knows what he's talking about. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he keeps time. Those are the two bookends we absolutely know. There's a lot about this prophecy we don't know, by the way. A lot about this revelation that I can't tell you for sure. But those two things I do know. It began with that decree. It ended with with Messiah. And it took 483 years. Then we're told that after the 69 weeks are reached, Messiah would be killed. We know that just a few days after Palm Sunday is Good Friday. That's when Jesus was crucified. It's when he was executed. It says that that he would be cut off and have nothing. And the idea there is that that he would be killed, executed. That's what the, the word cut off really means. But it also, when it says he has nothing, it says it would appear that he had failed. And that was what the Jews believed. They believed that, that if he was possibly, had, could have been the Messiah, that when he got crucified, it was all over. That he was a great failure. 
And so it was even prophesied that he would be looked upon as a failure. And then the next thing we're told is that the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary in 70 A.D. The Roman army under the general Titus, who later became emperor, but at that time he was a general, completely destroyed the temple. Destroyed Jerusalem. And the temple to this day has not been built back. And that's important. We'll get there in just a minute, but that's important. To this day, the temple has not been rebuilt. And then it's also important to note that it says the people will destroy it, not the ruler, because the ruler he's referring to here is a ruler that is to come in the future. Finally, we're told that he, will, this he which is this ruler of the future, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, for seven years. And this ruler is connected to the final kingdom on our chart. That final ruler who will exist shortly before Messiah comes and destroys his kingdom and punishes him. So the 70th, the 70th seven of Daniel is going to see the rise of the ruler of the final kingdom who makes a covenant with God's people and he breaks that covenant after three and a half years, and it says he puts an end to sacrifice and offering. The reason I said it's important that we know that the temple hasn't been rebuilt, there is no sacrifice and offering going on right now. And so for this time period, we know it has to be somewhere in the future to us. So we know when the 69th seven ended, but we also know that the 70th seven has to be somewhere in the future. Because it ends in eternity, and somewhere along the way, he cuts off the sacrifice and the offering, and that's not going on. So it's somewhere in that future. But at the end of the 70 week, or 70th seven, Messiah is going to come and destroy this ruler, destroy his kingdom, and establish the eternal kingdom of righteousness. Now, the only way to fit all of these things together is if we take the 70th week, and detach it in time, that 70th seven, from the other 69 seven. So let me just confess to you. I tried my best. As I studied this passage, I tried my best to figure out some way that it could all be a single group of 70. Because it just makes sense to me. And because I'm just a little bit OCD, and I couldn't stand the fact that we had one, one of these sevens just kind of hanging out here. But when I took all of the, the facts that are given and put them all together, I couldn't pull all 70 of those together. I had to leave one hanging out there that ends in eternity. And we don't know when it's going to start. We don't know for sure when it's going to be over. Uh, you may have seen a billboard that said something about uh, Messiah's coming in 2030. We don't know if that's going to happen. But we do know that when these things happen, God's plan is going to be completed and fulfilled. So I began to ask myself, why, why would this disjunction between these 69 and the 1, uh, why would this be true? And I thought, well, what's been happening since? What's been happening since that 69th 7 was over? Well, Jesus commissioned his disciples and he launched his church. And from that day forward, the church very quickly 
became something that was no longer Jewish. It was Gentile in nature. And for all of the history since that 69th seven has been over, God has been working through his church, through his gathered people, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. It seems like God has taken Israel and said, because you rejected the Messiah, I'm going to set you aside. I'm not done with you yet. And now I'm going to work through this group of people. And that's what God's been doing since. But there are promises to Israel that he has not yet kept. And God is a promise keeper. And the 70th seven is, is where God begins keeping and fulfilling those promises that have not yet been fulfilled. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? So I want to just kind of pause and say, what can we take away from this passage that will help us today? Because every time we study prophecy or, or the future, there's this tendency to get confused or maybe even afraid or discouraged by it. And we get so wrapped up in all these little details. As much as I love all the little math details, I could get completely wrapped up in the details and miss the point. If you study or read what God says about the future, and you come away being afraid or discouraged, I think you might have missed the point. All of this was, was the purpose of this was to encourage Daniel's heart. He was praying about his people, and God said, listen, here's something I want to tell you, and he gives him this plan. So, what can we conclude? Number one, God hears and answers our prayers. If you don't take anything else out of this, cool math day, but other than that, God hears and answers your prayers. Be encouraged. Be challenged. Be faithful in prayer because God is listening. You are his beloved child and he's leaning forward. And, and God graced me with the opportunity to raise children. When my little ones would come and they would pour their heart out to me, I would lean over and I would listen because I love them. My heavenly father loves us even more than I could ever love my own children. And he is leaning forward and listening. Tell him. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what you need. Ask him. Bring it to him. He wants to hear. God listens to our prayers, and he answers our prayers. He listens because he loves us. You don't have to prove yourself to him. You don't have to earn the right to be heard. God listens simply because he loves you, and he answers according to his good purposes for you. God only ever wants good for you. And he answers according to his good purposes. Secondly, second thing we can walk away with is God has a plan and a purpose. And that plan and that purpose will be accomplished. He will get it done. And if I can throw in a little side there, and he's never late and he's never early, he's always right on time. Exactly 483 years because he's right on time. 
God has a plan and a purpose, and that plan and the purpose is to rescue his people from sin, to redeem them from the curse, and to restore all of creation back to righteousness, which was his original intent to start with. Righteousness, goodness, and wholeness. That's what we have to look forward to. That is the promise that God gives us, that when his plan is accomplished, all will be right, all will be good, and all will be whole. Daniel lived in a difficult time, and he lived in a difficult place. He was surrounded by people who didn't worship and follow God, and yet he remained faithful and hopeful. How did he do this? In the same way you and I do. He trusted in, he believed in, he held on to the promises of God. That God was going to send a deliverer. And that when this deliverer finished and accomplished God's plan, all would be right and all would be good. That's the hope we have today. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day that you come when you make everything good and right and whole. Father, we just praise you for your plan, for your purposes. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in those plans and those purposes in your word and your promises knowing that you'll be faithful to carry them out. Lord Jesus, we join with John when he says in the book of Revelation, even so, come quickly. Would you stand with us once again? Let's be reassured by this passage in Revelation. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This is who our God is, the lion and the lamb. Let's sing this in faith together. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Break this broken heart. 
those words that we just sang that are central to the hope to which we cling, that Jesus will return, that kings and kingdoms will bow down, including us, and that we will get to meet our Savior again. And, and that hope is what drives us to experience the grace that he has for us in our lives today. And I really do hope that the um, study of Daniel has been one of encouragement for you and has deepened your knowledge. And, and for me, it's been one that has anchored my hope even more of God and his sovereignty and his plan. And I hope that that's the same for you and that we get to experience the grace that comes from that, the, the grace that we'll be celebrating over the next two weeks as we look at the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So next week is going to be a unique Sunday here at Fellowship Bentonville. Um, it'll be a special morning together. And with that, I want to give us a, a couple of encouragements as we're going to be celebrating with our Tenebrae service. Uh, it's one of those services that really is all tied together from start to finish. So as much as you can, would love for you to get here early. Um, and I know traffic may hurt with some of that, but uh, maybe if you can carpool with other families too to reduce the number of cars. And I know this seems petty to ask, but we want you to be able to have an experience with the Lord that morning uh, next week as you come. And we're also going to ask that you enter quietly. So it'll be a little darker when you come in and as we kind of trace Jesus's path to the cross together as a church family next week. So that'll be next Sunday as we celebrate uh, Tenebrae. Hey, as always, we have prayer available up here. Um, if you, if something is stirred in your heart that you would like to, to have someone else pray over you or pray with you this morning, we've got our prayer team that would love to be able to do that. But for all of us, let me uh, pray for us as we close this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your good gift of your, yourself, your sacrifice, uh, the grace that we don't deserve, the mercy that we don't deserve, God, but you give that to us. And, and even so, God, you give us your spirit that we don't have to just wait on a savior to come back one day. We get to experience him today through the gift of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I pray that over every individual in here this morning, that um, through the study of your word, through the worship of you with other people, God, that your spirit would be alive within us and that uh, it, you, you would be something that, that directs us every day, that we would listen to the promptings of your spirit as we go from this room, whether it's just to say hey to somebody, to share the gospel with someone, to pray over someone, whatever it may be, may we be in tune to who you are and the ways that you're working in and around us, God. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. See you guys next week.